G'day, Zach Jackson here. Welcome to this special episode of the Well Played DLC podcast. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Revolution Software founder and famed adventure game creator Charles Cecil. We talk all things adventure games and Revolution's latest game, Beyond a Steel Sky. Just a heads up, there might be one or two awkward moments where parts of the podcast have been edited out. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Uh, good morning, Charles. I'm uh, Zach. I'm from Well Played. You probably never heard of us, but uh, now you have. It's, it's um, yeah, yeah. As I was telling uh, Fan when when she emailed me about this opportunity, it was um, this is a, probably the biggest highlight of my journalism career. Uh, chatting to you, you. <laughs> um, and, I, and I've been a little bit of a nervous nervous wreck for for the past day, but. Um, I don't know if Fan told you, but I actually had a email drafted to Revolution Software asking for a, an interview, but I was always too scared to actually send it. I was like, <laughs> what if he? I was like, what if he says yes, and then I have to actually have to chat to him. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so just on that, I guess um, yeah, Broken Sword is like a big, big part of like my life. It's I remember when I, we got, first got the PlayStation One, and it came with that demo disc, but it had like the like the trailer for for Broken Sword. Um, and that's one of the very, very first games that I ever played on just in general. And I begged my parents after watching that trailer and they bought me Broken Sword. And from there, I've, you know, it's it's developed my love for adventure games, point and click games, and even like um, Knights Templars, like stuff like that. Like it all comes from, from Broken Sword. So this is, you know, a massive, um, I'm just, it's just awesome to be, to be chatting with you. Well, thank you, Zach. It's a, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you and a, a privilege. And you know, thank you so much for that introduction. That's great. That's right. I have another special little thing for you, which when I first saw this, um, I was like, that's another, like, just incredible. But I've never played Beneath a Still Sky. So I did, like, a little bit of research, and I found that the lead character, whose name is Robert Foster, was actually named after Foster's beer, which <laughs> happens to be my favourite beer. So ah. I thought I will bring... A can of Foster's, and uh, I'll share this in celebration Fantastic. with you. Fantastic, and Robert, and uh, that that's that 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 there is a, a lot of truth in that. Um, actually, he's he's called Foster because he was fostered, and because they find a can of uh, Foster's yeah. beer, so it's both together. But um, bless them, uh, Foster's actually sent us a cease and desist letter. Um, huh. uh, it was it was a very courteous one, to be honest. They didn't, you know, they didn't get heavy or anything, but they said, you know, you're using our brand without permission. You know, please stop now. Yeah. Um, and, and they could have been they could have been much, much nastier, which they weren't. Uh, and, and the really funny thing, of course, is that actually it was helping their brand. It was, you know, n nowadays, uh, I, I think they'd probably be rather pleased to have it <laughs> featured in the video game. But um, but they were different days. That was that was 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I most uh, most Australians wouldn't admit to liking Foster's, so um, <laughs> it's quite uh, quite rare. But I guess yeah, I want to probably kick it off off there because I actually didn't realise um, until I played this, but um, I played maybe a handful of hours of Beyond a 
a still sky um, since um, the other week because it's it's been one of those games that I've wanted to play since I've uh, heard about it but just never had the time. And then when I heard that it was coming to consoles, being a bit of a more of a console gamer, I thought I'd just wait for that. But um, I didn't realize that the game is proper Australian, sort of like in a. So I just want to talk about the the influences there and you know why Australia and you know how you kind of landed down under for the for the premise. Oh, sorry. For yeah, the, well, for the area. It, it was it was it started with the idea of uh, just turning society around. So the richest lived at the bottom rather than the top and the the poorest lived in the smog at the top and and since that had been turned upside down we decided that it'd be quite fun to turn the world upside down as well and obviously from a very english perspective the other side of the world is 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 australia although actually it's new zealand um and i i, I have to say we all loved mad max of course um and <laughs> and that that would have had some influence but we were trying to play a game because I love the idea that uh, in Sydney you have an underground system which has St. James and it has um, King's Cross and it has, you know, a, a number of the the same as the London Tube. So we, we were we, we, we go into King's Cross and, and I'd wanted everyone to assume that it was the English, the London King's Cross, when in fact the 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 only the the most um, observant would realise that it was Sydney. Uh, and then Dave went and put a kangaroo in the com- opening com- comic book, which sort of rather gave the game away. Yeah. So initially, it was meant to be very subtle. It was meant to be this idea of this, you know, post a post apocalyptic landscape that could have been anywhere. Um, and 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 as I say, Dave rather gave the gave the game away with 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 the Australian, uh, sorry, with the with the kangaroo um, in 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 the very opening section with the gap. Yeah, in in Beyond a Still Sky, I was um, it's it's that first part where you meet um, the 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 mechanicy guy. I can't remember what they what he's called again. Jo, jo, his friend Joey. No, not the not the robot, but the the. Oh, in guy the original who, game, Hobbs, no, no, Hobbins. In, in the new one, in the new one, when you're trying to scan the, he's the guy with that you steal the scanner Hobbsworth. from. Hobbsworth. Hobbsworth. Sorry, yes. yes. Um, and I was like, is that guy got a Australian accent? Um, I was like, this is awesome. This is um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. It's been a like a long time since since the first one came out. I, you know, how did the sequel come about? Because I've read that, um, and I knew that uh, it was part of the Broken Sword um, Five Kickstarter. I think, from if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, we we, we rather naively um, put. Uh, well, not rather, very naively put. Uh, beneath the Still Sky Two as a kick as a as a as a as a goal as a stretch goal, which was a stupid thing to have done because <laughs> it's a different community and I, I I don't know what I was thinking. Um, we we do have the most wonderful community and a few people absolutely rightly objected, but we're lucky to have a community that basically is is, is supremely reasonable. And um, almost certainly, if they complain about something, they have a very good reason to have done so. Um, uh, I, I will come back and answer your question. But, um, you know, when we did the Broken Sword 5 Kickstarter, um, I, I remember um, we, we said that the game, I think we, we did the Kickstarter in September 2012. And we said the game would come out um, like six months later. Uh, and yet one of the kick goal, kickst- one of the stretch goals was to add an extra uh, uh, an extra section, which meant that the game couldn't possibly come out that soon. 
Um, and, and, and I remember uh, getting really worried and sending a message around saying, guys, I'm really sorry. Um, it's, it's not going to come out on time. And there was I was expecting a big reply and there was a big reply, half of which said we never really trusted. We never really believed you in the first place. So that's fine. And the other said we've been waiting for however many years. Um, we'd much rather it was good. Please take your time. Not <laughs> one person objected. So we are very, very lucky in that regard. But to, to, to answer um, to answer your question, which I've already forgotten. This is crazy. Sorry. I, I set myself on a, on, on a diversion. Oh, how did it come about? Thank you. So. Um, with Broken Sword One and Broken Sword Two were uh, very successful. Our publisher was was Virgin, and um, the we were keen that the that, that those original games went onto PlayStation. And the the general sense at the time was that the adventure was dead. That this was a crazy idea. Um, and the official PlayStation magazine, which is probably where you first saw the game, cover mounted it. It had a had a circulation at the time of about half a million. I think it was 600,000, um, which is phenomenal. Um, the, the French and the German official PlayStation magazines also cover mounted it. So the game went on to do really, really well. And yet the publishers have decided that the adventure was dead, that the PC was dead. That was the other mantra. Mm. Um, that was partly because at that time, uh, a lot of the publishers were absolutely out of touch with, with the audiences anyway. They decided that the adventure was dead and without the support of publishers who would then put it into retail, the adventure was dead. And for about five, six, seven years, um, adventures really floundered. And then with the DS and the Wii, um, the much broader audience started playing adventures. Initially, Japanese adventures like, um, you know, Professor Layton and games like that, um, another code. Uh, and, and, and then... Um, uh, and 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 then um, broken sword, but we'd D Dave and I talked about a sequel pretty pretty soon after the uh, initial release. But it was quite clear that in the environment there was no way that we were going to be able to get a, a an adventure game. We weren't be able to fund it. We weren't going to, to publish it. We wouldn't get it into retail. And so we kind of talked um, uh, on and off for years and years. And the reason that you mentioned the Kickstarter and why it's important is because that was the first time that actually we could go directly to our community. And we did that, of course, with Broken Sword 5, as, as I explained. Um, had a, discovered that actually our community are the most wonderful, passionate group of people who love adventure games. Um, we, we, we love them, and, 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 and many of them are incredibly enthusiastic about us. Um, so with the success of that, I, I got back in touch with Dave. We kept in touch over the years. And I said, look, I, I think we can probably you know, we probably drum up enough support for, for, for the game. Um, I've been very inspired by a trip I did to uh, Uruguay in South America. Um, Uruguay is a small country. Um, before I went there, I could probably couldn't have told you exactly where it was. Um, and I was talking to all these kids that they, they were students. And when I mentioned the games that we'd written, a cheer went up when I mentioned Beneath the Steel Sky. And it's like, guys, you know, this was this was written 10 or you know probably five years before any of you were born and mm. yet you still know it um and we did a little bit of research and there was clearly enormous enthusiasm still for the for the game um so as i say i got back in touch with dave and he was very much on for it he sent some of the um design notes that we'd faxed backwards and forwards 25 years ago um which probably would have been great 25 years ago but 
to bring a a a franchise back like this um i mean i call it a spiritual successor rather than um because the game is set in the same universe it's the same characters it's the same law but obviously it's infinitely more ambitious um in its objectives in its gameplay in in the way we tell the story um so yeah i call it a spiritual spiritual successor and and dave was very much on for it and um we decided that uh the the virgin who were a wonderful publisher to work with had had marketed the first one as an interactive comic which was utterly untrue because there was nothing about it comic book like at all except the comic that came with the mm. um with the box um but we want we wanted for this to be much more true to the interactive comic so we we worked um we worked hard to create some technology that we call toon toy that would uh, allow the game to be displayed in a comic book style and we worked very closely with dave to make sure that that um that style was was true to what he wanted and um he was thrilled i have to say i was thrilled um mm. we, we we were looking for an art style that uh, both aesthetically looked pleasing but also from a gameplay perspective as you'll know you spend an awful lot of time looking at backgrounds and so the aesthetic of the background is supremely important because clearly you need to be able to see objects which are going to be of relevant so that they're you know they're potentially hot spots so by using this comic book style it meant that we could focus the eye on the elements of the screen that were important so there were there were there were multiple reasons why we went for the comic book style with dave sorry i've rather gone off on a tangent again apologies that that's actually fine because you've half answered or pretty much answered another question i had so You've got uh, two birds in one stone there. So, yeah, I mean, working with uh, Dave Gibbons again, that must have been awesome because, uh, you know, he doesn't normally work in video games, so he would bring uh, fresh ideas or, or ideas that are a bit different that, um, I guess, game designers might have. That could be incorrect, but that's my knowledge of uh, game design no, there. No, 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 that's absolutely true. Dave, um, I'd actually got in touch with Dave in the late 80s, God help me, um, because he'd written a comic book called Watchmen with Alan Moore. Yeah. And we were all huge Watchmen fans. I mean, it's it's kind of testament to the two of them that this comic book from 40 years ago, from over 40 years, uh, 30 years ago, sorry. Yeah, 30, <laughs> over 30 years ago is still as popular today and going past comic book shops you know, it's still Watchmen and its derivatives are still, you know, front and center. Uh, obviously, there's the television series. I was, I was with Dave. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling again, but I was with Dave in in New York um, last year for New York Comic Con, and I was so proud for him because we walked through Times Square, and everywhere we looked, there were enormous great digital Watchmen posters, That's and awesome. I thought, good for you, good for you. I have to say, I did feel slightly jealous, but but you know, I was. <laughs> You know, like, and I was really proud to be walking with this incredible guy that had created this this comic book thirty years over thirty years ago, and you know how popular it is today. But I'd, I'd actually got hold of him when I was uh, at Activision. Uh, I was the head of development at Activision in the in the late eighties, and it turned out that um, the rights he didn't have the rights; they'd all been licensed to a dark out dark horse. Um, and so, but we kept in touch, and I I, I kind of punted uh when, when i was working with virgin and um our first game was called era the temptress and that was very successful it got very good reviews um and really filled with 
with with confidence we we embarked on on beneath the steel sky and it kind of felt subject matter wise you've got this dystopic world which as you pointed out was australia although we were trying to hide that at the time and it it, it just felt like that dave would be you know a great person to to contribute uh, and 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 i got back in touch with him and i was really thrilled when um when when he agreed um and and that's because Back in those days, there were quite a few people. I mean, now everybody loves video games, mainly because commercially they're so successful. <laughs> but I think creatively, there were a group of people that um, of, of people at the top of their game who who loved the idea of the medium. One was um, was Dave. Of course, um, we we worked um, on on Broken Sword with a fellow countryman of yours, Barrington Feelong. Um, do you not back to Paris and Philog, the, the, the composer from Manly Beach? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 idea. no, no, you've got no, <laughs> no. idea. I'll, I'll tell you why you don't know, because he came to England um, and yeah. uh, basically worked on a lot of English uh, films and television. And he's he's very well known and very well respected over here. But again, somebody like Dave, who was just really interested by the medium. So I got back in touch with Dave and, and initially the idea was that Dave was just going to draw the backgrounds in pencil and that we would then uh, scan them in and paint them. Sorry, we'd paint them and then scan them in. Um, but he really got into it. It was fantastic. Um, mm. And he loved the idea of, you know, pixels, pixel art, because back in those days on the on the Amiga, you had a, a limit of 32 colors. And so, you know, as you can imagine, the the skill in using those 32 colors to the you know, eking out every ounce of color and form um uh, he described it as like jewelry making you change just one pixel slightly and it changes the whole look and so we gave him a, an amiga and, and a copy of uh, deluxe paint 2 and he started creating the sprites um then he'd come up once once a month and we'd talk about the story so he he was a, a really integral part and he was a, a terrific con uh, collaborator and contributor at that point we were um, based in the city of Hull, which is a, a very fine city on the east coast of England. Um, it's quite poor now. It was it was rich from fishing and um, and, and, and chemicals. Um, and uh, he, he would he would talk about getting the the nice fast train up to a, a place called Doncaster, and then this bone rattling piece of crap um, train from from Doncaster across to Hull. They were they were euphemistically called sprinters. But um, I'll tell you briefly about, and this sums up the British government in the 70s, um, and well, probably the 80s and 90s and now as well. But basically, they wanted they wanted carriages and 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 rolling stock that could be delivered as cheaply as possible. So they went to British Leyland, which was a bus manufacturer, and said, "Can you produce us some um, some some trains?" And and so they did. They basically put train wheels on a bus chassis. So there were no bogeys, there was no turning. I mean, they are just dreadful. Anyway, Dave had to sit on one of these for an hour to get across. But it was worth it when we got to the other end because we were above um, um, a, an arcade, um, a, a fruit machine. Do, do you use the word fruit machine? The Americans call them one-armed bandits, don't they? And, you know, where you pull a press a button and the reels go round and you win money if you get three uh, fruits. Um... Yeah, I don't know what the term is for, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they, they were popular then because the, it was before video game arcades, <laughs> and um, we it was full of 
I'm, I'm afraid young mothers smoking cigarettes, pushing their babies around, um, putting money into these things, hoping to win money. Um, and at the end, there was a, a little counter that sold what we call bacon butties. And a butty is a bap. Um, and it was superb, absolutely brilliant, thick bits of greasy bacon on really doughy baps that would kind of get stuck in the roof of your mouth. And that made the whole thing worth it. And 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 so I take him in there to so that he could recover from this dreadful journey and fortified by this fine English East Coast northern food. We would then um, go and, and 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 give it our very best. Would there be an Australian term men that they went to play pokies and have bacon and egg sandwiches? Right. That's it. Well, what oh. we have have and, and had at those times, Silas, is what we call chip butties. All right. I don't know if you have that. And that is the same doughy bap with but with margarine and chips. Yeah, we do have that. Yeah. yeah. On drunk nights. I mean, like, I'm I'm much too old to eat them now. But I tell you what, when I was at that age. You know, I mean, very occasionally there is very little better than a chip butty, particularly with a bit of bacon in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With, um... Alice, see, Alice, with her French um, cuisine, is absolutely <clears throat> horrified by this conversation. <laughs> with uh, so with Beyond the Still Sky, um, like. I... It's unlike anything I've played from Revolution before in terms of like uh, like the camera view and and all that and yet it feels like when I was playing it I was like yeah this you know this this also does feel like a like a Revolution game so how did you find the right balance between sticking to your roots and 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 what your old school fans like and then trying new things and for like modern <laughs> for modern adventure games almost. Okay, well, th thank you. That's a really, that's a really, really nice question. When we wrote Lure of the Temptress, which is our first game, we we, we had this system that we called um, virtual theatre, and virtual theatre meant that characters walk around the world, and you can subvert the world, and in doing so, they will change their behaviour, and we could put puzzles into that. So in Lure of the Temptress, you look through a keyhole, and if you look through the keyhole when a certain conversation was taking place, you got some information which you could then use. And I remember there was so much enthusiasm for this. Um, uh, I, I remember doing a, a talk and um, to a whole lot of journalists and publishers. And um, I was very proud of this. Uh, and, and, and I finished my talk and there was silence. And I looked around the room and then somebody started clapping and then everybody started clapping. And then people stood up and then people queued to see me. And it was like, this is our first game. This is the first prototype for our first game. And it was absolutely brilliant. And then with Beneath the Steel Sky, we kind of scale back on this idea of virtual theatre. But there is one particular puzzle which I'm rather proud of, which is where um, a, a Yorkshire, a Yorkshire and, I, and, and I live in Yorkshire, I have done for 30 years, so I don't know why we're so rude about Yorkshire people. Um, everybody in England is. Um, uh, they're fine, fine, fine people. Um, but anyway, so there's a Yorkshire, there's a, there's a Yorkshire factory owner. And he's very proud of the fact that he's got a beaver coat from the last five beavers in the world. Um, and they're now extinct. And basically, he's a complete slob. But he has authority to go down in an elevator by swiping his card. And he goes off and he'll go in. He feeds his cat, comes back, goes into the factory. So he's a virtual theatre character walking around a fairly simple loop. And 
you could go into the computer system called Link and you could, what's called de-link him, you could take away his priority, which means you could no longer use the elevator. And that allowed, and that felt 25 years ago, like an incredible puzzle. People absolutely loved it because what you had is you had the artificial intelligence. Obviously, I use that term very loosely. You had the artificial intelligence of a character walking around and you could subvert the world. Now, that was absolutely true as a revolution game. It was taking it of taking in a puzzle that was true to the world at that time, true to the characters and the character motivation. So when we sat down to work out what we want to do with Beyond a Steel Sky, it was really, really important, as you say, that it felt like a revolution game and that it was true to the original game. So we brought back this idea of virtual theater and that in, instead of just the simplicity of going into a console, came up with this idea. I was a huge, I am a huge fan of Scratch, which is a computer programming language, simple language for kids, where you just move blocks around. And it always occurred to me that that would just make a great game. So how fantastic it was to come into Beyond a Steel Sky and realize that I could, I better not say steal, because I might have a, 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 a lawyer's letter in the morning. I could take inspiration. I could take inspiration from, from Scratch programming language and use it in this world, now you talked earlier about Hobsworth. The we don't we don't write slapstick games, and we never have done. Um, you, you know, I love Monkey Island. I love Day of the Tentacle. Slapstick games where you have crazy solutions. Often, what you're doing is trying every combination uh, until eventually you stumble on the answer. But it's worth it because it's such a fun. You know, as as the story moves forward, it's such fun. We've never done that. Our games have always been based on. Uh, a logical world and logical motivations. But in Beneath the Steel Sky, you as the player, a rational player, are brought in with the mindset of Foster. And you come into this crazy world where they don't think they're crazy. They think that they're normal. And the, the humour comes from the, from the juxtaposition of what we as the player see through Foster as normality from our perspective. And they see normality as theirs and ludicrous things happen. And so the key thing about the, the Hobsworth and all the other characters is they live in this AI environment where the AI is so powerful that they just assume that everything that the AI does is for a good reason, which means that when you subvert the world, crazy things happen, but these people all assume that they were meant to happen and that it's deliberate. And that's where you know this, this idea comes from and hopefully some of the humor comes from. So. In the case of Hobsworth, he is a diagnostician. He diagnoses things. All he does is he points his he points his thing, his he points his tool at, and if there's a problem, the AI um, Minos fixes it. So he's absolutely useless because ultimately, in this AI world, you know humans they're given jobs to do, but they're useless jobs because the AI does it all. And this this was very much bringing forward the themes, you know, the themes of AI obviously came from your pal Joey who is your you know you created yourself it's your friend you made it's the AI from that and then what happened to Link which was the AI the tyrannical AI from 25 years ago and what we felt was that you know had we come back a year or two later we could have just kept going as as if everybody knew the world 25 years ago a huge number of people will never have played this game and it was essential that on the on one side we were true to the law, true to the characters, and on the other we 
ensured that actually somebody who didn't hadn't played the game would have everything that they needed to be able to do so. You uh, you touch on puzzles there, and, and I want to. I've got to phrase this question so I don't offend people, but I feel like puzzles uh, back in older adventure games were a bit harder than what they are now. So the question is, uh, do you find like you have to make them easier for uh, modern audiences? Because, you know, back in the day, you know, we didn't have, you know, the web to go to and find a solution because uh, people, you know, they spend five, ten minutes and then half of them might go off and, find the answer so how do you yeah like find the right difficulty in you know in like the balance of of puzzle design well we we put we put hints into all our games now Mm. so um if anybody gets stuck they can they can look up the answer um for beyond a steel scale we actually put a time in so i I can't remember whether it was a minute um it's 30 seconds yeah Yeah. just just to try and make it so that people i mean I, i think it's frustrating if you want to get a clue and you have to wait five minutes. Uh, I mean, like, if, if you if I want to look for a cure, I should be able. So I think thirty seconds. I think is uh, there was quite a debate about this, and and I was uh, I was very much for the the low. I think I, I stump I think I stamped my foot down and said, you know, it needs to be a short time. We'll go for thirty seconds. Um, but you know, if I go back to again the difficulty of puzzles, um, I remember journalists saying, oh, I love these these adventure games. I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be stuck, I'll go to bed, I'll wake up and I'll think, I'll try this, and it works. And, you know, clearly audiences don't have the time to do that anymore. Um, we always had a slight challenge in that, you know, Monkey Island would have a puzzle where you get a monkey, you squash it and it becomes a monkey wrench. You know, that that would, I would I would imagine that you probably would never have, I mean, maybe not that particular puzzle, but there are puzzles that you would never be able to judge unless you went into this, try every every permutation. And right from the very beginning, I was super keen that we did never do that. We didn't, the player would never have to resort to that. And as I said, that's because we've worked very hard to try and make sure that the puzzles are narrative blocks based often around characters what is that character motivation? What is the state of the world? What is logical? And we spend a lot of time designing our puzzles and almost always the change is, I don't believe this puzzle. I don't believe this character motivation. I don't believe this person. And so we go back again and again, and it takes us an awfully long time to write our games for that reason. I I would argue that, you know, if, you know, we were having slapstick, you know, and, you know, this is Australia. So let's say this is a, a lasso. I mean, it's not a lasso, but let's have, pull it like that. There you go. It's like a lasso there. I throw it around. I lasso something and you go, ha ha, it's a lasso. Yes. And I go. But but our puzzles are not like that. So the, 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 the problem to, to answer your question more directly is that, of course, by doing this, it's often we've got to hide the solution while also making it logical. And in Broken Sword, there's a, an infamous puzzle called the Goat Puzzle, um, and uh, you may have come across it if you if you if I you have, played the I first, have. right? And and the reason that I put that in was for exactly the reason that you're talking about that people wanted hard puzzles, and it was a hard puzzle, but it was a hard puzzle because it was an unfair puzzle. It was unfair because 
we changed the way the uh, the, the UI worked um, midway through the game. And I thought, ha, 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 all those people that complain that games are too easy, you know, they, they, they're going to think about it. And, and indeed they did. And, you know, 10 minutes later they got it and they moved forward and they were happy. Uh, of course, that was a, an ignorant thing to do because, you know, the 10% of people who make all the noise about games being too easy, it's all very well for them. But for the 90% of people who actually just enjoy the puzzles as they are, they were absolutely stopped in their tracks and, mm. and weren't able to progress until a month later when the solution came came out in the magazines. Or until the um, the director's cut came out. Well, indeed, <laughs> where we did, we did, we did dumb that down slightly. Um, just because it wasn't a fair puzzle. It wasn't a fair puzzle. I mean, of course, a lot of people objected to us dumbing it down, but... I didn't mind it, no. All right, so one of the questions I wanted to do, uh, ask, and you, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, and I've read answers to similar questions, but it, uh, when Beneath the Steel Sky came out, or after that came out, uh, you pretty much did Broken Sword 1 to 5. So how's that change been working on a game that's not Broken Sword, basically? Yeah, we did In Cold Blood... Um, oh yes, between... which I loved. Which is oh, did you I, I forgot I forgot that that was even Revolution. And then I was researching this the other day, and I was like, oh, like they that they, they, like they did in cold blood. I love that game. <laughs> uh, the control system. So many people ask us to, to 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 bring it back. And but thank you. No, no. Um, I I think we felt that it was important. I mean, if if I'm totally honest with you, we. When we wrote Broken Sword 3, um, we were in this crazy situation where the publisher made about $5 million and we actually lost £200,000 um, and actually got a big bank loan to fund it um, and then never quite recouped, almost recouped, but never recouped. So um, that's very bad business. And then Broken Sword 4 was about the same. So at the end of Broken Sword 4, we, were found, we found ourselves in a position where we had no money in the bank. And a, sorry, we had a big overdraft um, and it was like, what do we do? What do we do next? Because clearly it's not feasible. And and I actually took time off um, and did some freelance work. Uh, I worked um, with uh, Sony Pictures on the Da Vinci Code, um, although I, all I was doing was, was, was advising from the side. Um, it was a company called The Collective that wrote it. So. You know, if you can credit me with all the good bits and blame them for all the bad bits, that would be fantastic. Um, I also worked uh, on Robert Zemeckis's Christmas Carol, which I loved, and then with the BBC on Doctor Who. And for about five years, I, I was working on wonderful, wonderful projects. So from a revolution perspective, you're absolutely right. It did go um, in, uh, one, two, in cold blood, three, four, five. But from my personal perspective, it went three, four, all of these projects and then back when um with five and what actually filled us with confidence was in fact the, the turning point in all of this was when apple actually phoned us up and um out of the blue in about 2008 um and said uh hi this is uh this is this is apple and we go we were you know blown away that somebody from apple was was phoning us up um, and this this really nice guy said, uh, we have this new device called the iPhone. And we go, uh, yes, we're, we're, you know, we know all about the iPhone. He said, we think your games would work really well on it. Okay, wow. And he said, we can't we can't fund you. He's called Paul Burford was his name. Um, we can't we can't fund you, 
but we can support you if you bring the game to 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 to, to iPhone. And 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 we did. Um, so you know, from 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 a revolution perspective, that was after Broken Sword Four, and that then meant that we were able to bring Broken Sword One. Well, initially Beyond a Steel Sky, then Broken Sword One, then Broken Sword Two, um, and that then built us up financially to be able to embark on Broken Sword Five. So. Um, from from my personal perspective, I've been working on loads of different games, much more so than it would seem from the you know gameography that that you quite rightly have just just quoted. Um, and it's great to be able to work on other projects. I, of course, I love Broken Sword, but it's great to be able to work on a, on a on a wide range. And and hopefully that means that you know when we do new Broken Sword games, they won't feel stale. After yeah, after such a long period between, uh, but beneath and beyond a, a still sky first part is there's probably a bit of risk with bringing back a game like that but like you said it's it's more of a, a spiritual successor because a lot of probably players who played that game probably don't not all of them probably play games now um, and the second part to this question is in terms of writing the the story had you been penning ideas um like character arcs and stuff like that over the years for this sequel or sorry successor <laughs> yeah this spiritual successor i'll have you know sorry. um <laughs> uh, so uh let's do you know i'm so sorry what what was the first question it was a really good question and a really interesting one just about uh, after such a long time between the two releases there's a there, there's a bit of risk um, okay, thank, back you, thank, you, thank, you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. So, um, to 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 answer this slightly indirectly, like a politician, as in, you know, you ask a question, I, I'll, I'll answer a different one. <laughs> um, but the original game was actually written in uh, MS DOS, in the Microsoft MS DOS, which um, was obviously the operating system in the in the early nineties, um, and then Windows took over in i don't know around about 1995 um and it was supported in 1996 uh and then around about 1998 with windows 98 um ms dos was no longer supported so therefore the game couldn't be played so both beyond a steel sky and Lear of the temptress were, were effectively dead and then this incredible group called scum vm emerged and ScumVM was a bunch of adventure enthusiasts um, who created uh, an engine and they got other um, adventure enthusiasts to uh, ask for the source code and to convert. And we very, very early gave um, three programmers who came together um, as, as you know, working with the ScumVM team, uh, we gave them the source code for Beneath the Steel Sky. And there were three of them. Um, one was called Joost Peters, who is Dutch and is now our CTO, and he's brilliant. Uh, huge fan of Beneath the Steel Sky. Uh, another was a, a German student called Robert Croffingham. And the third, I don't remember his name, and I ought to. But these three um, spent their university projects uh, resurrecting um, Beneath the Steel Sky and rewriting it, taking the source code and adapting it for the Scum VM engine. And suddenly, this game could be played on modern PCs and, and has been able to be done so, you know, since then. So we owe them a huge debt of gratitude. Now, because the game couldn't be played 
uh, except under ScumVM, we felt at the time that we should give it away for free because we couldn't monetize it unless it was ScumVM. And uh, I remember it, it just felt like the right thing to do. In hindsight, I would like to say it was brilliant marketing and brand building awareness. It would be a complete lie if I did claim that, but 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 I'd like to be able to because millions and millions and millions of people played the game because it was free. And this was in an era before the idea of so many games being made free. Um, you know, Linux, it was it was a, a top uh, a top played game on Linux um, uh, as, as well as obviously on PC. So over the years, we actually did develop a we'd had two, two, two audiences, the ones that bought it first time around. Um, particularly those who probably at your age, when you were playing these games, were very much in their formative years. Um, and so these are games, Broken Sword, Beneath the Steel Sky, that really mean an awful lot to people, which is a huge privilege. But then we had another bite of the cherry when um, all these people could play it for free. So there was actually a, a substantial base of people that had played it over the 25 years because of the decision that we made all those years ago to uh, allow it to, to go out for free. Nice, and yeah, so just, just on the on the writing of the story for uh, Beyond, over the years, because there's such a big you know, year gap between the two games, had you been penning ideas and well, we did scrapping ideas? And... We did just a year or two afterwards, and Dave actually sent through some ideas that we'd knocked backwards and forwards. And one of them invo involved pterodactyls and going to Tasmania because, um, the, My home state. Are you from Tasmania? I'm from Tasmania. There you go. So, so I don't need to tell you about the Bass Strait, do I? No, I know all about right. it. Yeah, yeah, you know all about the Bass Strait. And the Bass Strait, of course, is beneath the steel sky. So we got so excited that the Bass Strait was the same as the, you know, the, the, the initials for, for, for beneath mm. the steel sky. And but but as I said earlier, this this was all written on the basis that everybody knew who Foster was, who Joey was. Um, and so we, we, we had a load of ideas at the time. We looked at them again when we got back together and realized that none of them were relevant because, you know, we're going to have to really kickstart, restart the whole thing, reboot, sorry. The, 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 and, and so if I, if I got to be totally honest, we really started again and we started from the ground up. And, and actually, um, I worked with a, a, a journalist um, um, called uh, Richard Cobbett. Who, who who worked for PC Gamer, who happens to live in York, which is where we're based. Um, and, and we sat down and uh, went really back to basics. What was it about the uh, the original that people loved? What would people expect in the sequel? What is the law? What do we bring forward? And so, um, I mean, I feel quite proud that the game is quite different. And yet it very, very, very much sticks to the themes that we felt were important, whether it be, you know, Foster's relationship with Joey, uh, AI, virtual theatre, going back to Union City, all, all of these things. So were you, this is the first game you used Unreal Engine for? Question this is, yes, yes. Yes, yes. For Broken Sword um, 3, we actually used um, a, a rendering engine called Renderware. Okay. Um, but yes, yeah, absolutely. So what, uh, what did that allow you to do? gameplay wise or just in general when building this world and that you probably couldn't have done before well the the the, the huge you know throughout the, the 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 early 2000s throughout the you know the first decade of the 2000s 
you had companies, uh, Ubisoft, EA, many others, building their proprietary 3D engines, which gave them a huge competitive advantage because obviously there is no way that a small team like Revolution could afford to build, you know, a complex 3D engine, which is why, you know, one of the reasons why we stuck with 2D. So Broken Sword 5 was unashamedly a, a, a 2D game. Um, then Unity Un and Unreal come along and allow you as a small developer to utilize this incredible suite of tools. And the, 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 the playing field has effectively been leveled um, in terms of the technology that we can use. Uh, also the shortcuts, you know, we don't need to write, you know, joypad routines. We don't need to, you know, uh, menu systems. We don't, all of these things already exist, which really allowed us to focus on the graphics, the graphics technology and, and the gameplay. And at Revolution, we were very lucky that, you know, we brought forward a very experienced team um, you know, from a from a from a from from you know an art perspective, the art director who worked very closely with Dave, um, Sucha Sucha Singh, um, you know, had worked at Revolution on Broken Sword Three. So you know, he he brought forward um, you know a, a, an incredible um, experience and, and wealth of knowledge um, and talent as, a, as as an art director. Um, you know, Andy Bosquet, um, who was the head of technology, he would also worked on Broken Sword Three. Um, so these are these are people with you know wealth of knowledge who'd worked at Revolution previously, um, who could bring forward their expertise, um, and uh, and and were able to use Unreal because of their technical knowledge. Were able to use Unreal in a really interesting way. Um, you know, Emanuela um, Sal Salvucci, who, who who wrote Toon Toy for us. Um, we had a very experienced and we needed to, to use it unreal you, you do need experienced artists technical artists and, and programmers because you know it's it's a complex system but 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 when you get it right it does you know it can it can deliver incredible results i'm gonna take a stab in the dark and say over the past 25 years you've played a few video games yourself what uh what ones have uh, inspired or influenced anything in beyond a still sky um, the, uh, so, so if you the, the first game I played, which and now we're talking about the the, the very, right at the beginning of the eighties, uh, was Space Invaders, of course, and then Galaxians. I used to play with a friend who had turned out just started a computer games company in nineteen eighty uh, in Hull, which is where my connection to Hull comes from, and we were playing games. Um, we, we in those days the licensing laws around the UK meant that different counties had different opening hours for the pubs or rather closing hours, and so we we would drive around looking for the ones that close latest, play play Galaxians, and um, drink drink a couple of pints of beer, uh, and then one day he said, um, why, why don't you come why don't you come up and um, I'll show you what I'm doing, you know maybe you should write an adventure game. Uh, this this is a guy called Richard Turner. To, uh, to whom I owe a huge debt of gratitude. Um, so uh, I'll definitely talk about those as, you know, incredible games. And, and 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 then you've got wonderful games that have got nothing to do, like, you know, Warcraft 2, I got absolutely hooked on. I mean, there's just loads of wonderful games. But I'm going to talk about two, I think. One is just the joy of Day of the Tentacle, which is, you know, my favourite adventure ever. But then also two other games that I think are superb. Um, Inside, um, 
the successor to Limbo and the fact that it tells the most incredible story <clears throat> through gameplay. Um, what I really admire about Inside is that there is not one word, there is not one spoken word, there is not one written word. The whole story comes from the gameplay and from the, the graphics, which is, you know, an extraordinary achievement. Um, and, and then in the same way, I think Untitled Goose Game, because in exactly the same way, you know, fun. And that's from an Australian developer, of course. Sure is. Um, and, you know, in, like inside, but, but more so, um, interesting things emerge from player actions. And, but, but within the bounds of a, a, a world where stories are being told. And uh, I, I think Untitled Goose Game probably came too late. But it, it's very much of, of the same idea that there is a story, there is a world, we are telling a story, you discover that story, but fun things happen through player interactions and logical events unfold and, and the story emerges from that. And, and yeah, so, so I'm, I'm going to name those two as, the, as, as most recently, or those three actually, if I include Dare the Tentacle, um, uh, as, as probably the ones that I'd like to, you know, really draw parallels with all uh, all three good games definitely <laughs> all right i'm gonna couple because we've only got five minutes left so one quick one on one final one on beyond a steel sky it's coming to playstation and xbox and switch at the yep, next yep, month yep. sorry at the end end of this month you must be stoked that it's coming to all like yeah all platforms um, yeah finally. absolutely Absolutely. I'm really thrilled. And, and I have to say, it's brilliant to be working with Microids. Uh, I mean, I would say that because Alice is on the call, but it, it really is great to be working with, with Microids. Um, you know, as a small developer, we, we focus on, you know, developing games. And then you get to the point where there's this crescendo at launch. And it's fantastic to have a, you know, much a, a well-resourced, experienced partner. Um, and, and it's the way the world should work. Um, it's 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 great. Yeah, there are they've got a couple of good titles in the you know the adventure series that I do like. So they seem like a pretty good good partner for for this. I do want to sidestep a little adventure bit, games, which as you say, which is great. Perfect. I want to quickly ask because I have to. But Broken Sword Six, can you give us any update at all? Where's the game at? I read that it's uh, years ago you, you said it was going to be set in Germany. Is that still a thing? Did I say that? That's what I I've read. Absolutely indiscreet. Our community manager um, is desperately worried and she has, she has her finger over the kill button when it comes to this internet line. <laughs> uh, if I talk about what we're going to do next or, 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 or anything, then it'll suddenly go dead. Um, I, I, I the, the reason that I said um, Germany is, is obviously German fans are hugely enthusiastic about adventures. And I, I have to say German fans are also extraordinarily well, you know, in, in, you know, I'm not, not talking about I'm not going to generalize about nations or whatever. But the people who play adventure games generally are very smart. They play games because they, they enjoy the puzzles. They enjoy the, the, the narrative. Um, but German adventure players in particular, you know, I, I remember talking to one guy and he, he, he loved Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco. And he was reading in Italian, like, like what? He's German. 
and he's reading <laughs> this book in Italian. It's like insane. Um, so I, I, I can't talk about what our next game is or Broken Sword 6, but certainly when we do it, there will be a, a heavy German presence because Germany is a great country and great people and, and they love adventure games. So, you know, there's every reason. I'm excited. Even it could be years away, I'm I'm still excited. Bless you, thank you. Uh, the last question, because I know you got to go, and it, it's probably more of a statement half questiony thing, but just on, on the impact that your games and your and revolutions had on the genre. You know, I've backed a number of Kickstarter games over the years, and they all list, or not all of them, but some of them list, you know, Broken Sword, and 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 that is their you know, inspiration for making their games. So I guess, how do you feel? Or how do you, you know, looking back now from from where you were 25 years ago, you know, seeing that your games have inspired a new generation of um, adventure players? Yeah, we, we we're, we're, I mean, it's, it's very proud. Now, just give me one second. I can tell these guys I'm going to just be a couple of minutes late. So uh, <laughs> there was a, a young developer called Puta who uh, produced a game called The Little Acre um, and actually asked me if I would work with them on it because um, their, their, their argument was that they'd ripped off so many ideas from Broken Sword that um, if, if if I didn't work with them, then I'd sue them. Um, <laughs> and, and and obviously that's just a joke because it's 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 incredibly, it's a huge compliment to have um, our games, um, uh, our games uh, inspire other people. And, and, and a lot of people say that they have. And, you know, when we were working with Virgin, um, yeah, I remember the producer of Toonstruck uh, asked us if, if if I could give them uh, our icons, which which I did, um, so that they could use them in in the game. So no, no, it's 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 it's, it's very very flattering. Um, and um, sorry, now I'm being chased. So uh, it 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 is hugely flattering. Um, and also people who talk about when they played it as a child and you know particularly when they played with someone they loved we hear from people all the time who played with their you know one of their parents or um you know somebody contacted us when we did the broken sword five to say he played with his grandmother who's now passed away but he, he remembers so well playing the game and, and the thing about adventure games is that because the narrative and the gameplay is bound together it's it's perfect for people to play collaboratively because you have the shared excitement of actually being able to move forward. It's you know it's 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 a huge privilege. I mean, I've been doing it now for for thirty years. I've been writing games for thirty years. Um, it's 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 a privilege. It's a wonderful medium. You know, I'm I'm, I'm delighted. Awesome. Well, yeah, you've uh, like I said, you've you've inspired my uh, gaming taste, and so you know, big thank you for that, um, and and thank you for having this chat. It's been amazing. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for doing it so late. Amazing. Awesome. Enjoy the rest of your fosters.